Father, thank you. Thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for the chance to focus on it in freedom in this country. And Father, we pray that as we do, that it would lead us to see the wonder of who you are. And as we wonder at the glory of the promise-keeping God that you are, that it would lead us to a deeper confidence, a deeper faith, and a deeper joy. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. About six months ago, last June, I was able, a little more than six months ago, I was able to go to Israel on a trip. That first day of our trip, we were by the Mediterranean Sea, and we were going along this part in maritime Caesarea that uh, is where Herod the Great had built this, uh, his house out on the very water itself. And I think I may have showed you this picture before, but you know, I began to realize something as you walk on the, the, the very ground that's been excavated and explored that, that is really the foundation for why we believe that the Bible is a historical and reliable book for us. That, that this is really important. Biblical archaeology, for instance, is really, really important. Did you know that for years and years, up until the 1960s, people would read the story of Jesus being crucified. And you read about how Pilate was there, and you imagine you see those pictures, and he's up there looking at the crowd, and, and he's there condemning Jesus to be crucified. And as he gives that, that crucifixion uh, notice, skeptics look at that whole story, and they would say, Pilate? You mean he was, he was this major Roman leader? And we know nothing about him from history. And they would laugh at the Bible. They'd say the Bible is preposterous. This clearly is not a historically reliable book. And there was laughter of skepticism. But you know, as I was walking out towards this uh, house that Herod the Great built, I walked past this little stone. And you see that some people would just walk right past it. But we paused by it. And as we're looking at it, this stone is fascinating and it is important because it was found in the 1960s. And on this stone, it says Pilate. Engraved into rock from the first century A.D. In fact, in 2018, they found a ring in this same area. This ring had a pilot engraved on it as well. And they found it in the 1960s, but it took them, the technologies up until today to come to realize that that's what was engraved on the ring. Crucial to our understanding that the Bible really is something valuable to us. The skeptics may have laughed about Pilate, but now we can laugh at the wonder of a promise-keeping God who's given us a reliable word. There was another time in the 1990s where some students were at Tel Dan, which is in northern Israel. And they were, they were digging through, they were sifting through, and, and to be honest, when you're a, an archaeologist, you rarely find something of value. But here you have a student who's digging through and sifting through, and all of a sudden he comes upon this, known as the Stele of Dan. And here you notice down in the right-hand corner, uh, it kind of has some chalk, it looks like, on it there. There's something crucial there in that people looked at the Bible and they laughed at the idea that there was a King David. King David is so important. He's so crucial to, to your religion. You look at him as the, the, the father of, of Jesus, the great, great forefather of Jesus, and yet we can find no historical fact for him. Up until 1990, when a student unearthed the Stelian Dan and they find this here, 
And now you and I can laugh as we go to our Bible and know that there is a promise-keeping God who fulfills His Word. I love what it says in the book Great Controversy. This is a, a classic on Christian history, a powerful classic that says this. The infidel Voltaire once boastingly said, I'm weary of hearing people repeat that 12 men established the Christian religion. I will prove that one man may suffice to overthrow it. Pretty boastful claim. Hey, I by myself am just going to demolish Christianity in one lifetime. Well, goes on to say this. Millions have joined in the war upon the Bible, but it is so far from being destroyed that where there were a hundred in Voltaire's time, there are now 10,000. Yes, a hundred thousand copies of the book of God. This was written back in the 1800s. Today, all of us have way more copies, uh, than, 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 than they ever had in the 1800s. There's, there's millions of copies of, 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 of the Word of God. In the, word, in the words of an early reformer, it goes on to say, concerning the Christian church, the Bible is an anvil that has worn out many hammers. A lot of people have laughed at the Bible. They've, they've laughed that, that, that these words are there and that this is the history that's recorded. And they've laughed in skepticism. But what do I do when I come to the Word of God? What emotions are brought up in my mind? There's two types of laughter that I want to talk about today. There's the laughter of skepticism, and there's another type of laughter that we'll see. Open with me to Genesis chapter 11 and verse 30. Genesis chapter 11 and verse 30. So we're backtracking a little bit in the story of Abraham to focus in on one character who is known for something very specific. And we've looked a little bit at this, but we're going to highlight it a little bit more this morning. Genesis chapter 11 and verse 30 says this, introducing Sarai to us for the very first time. He's the she tells us this is the wife of Abraham and, and, and they're traveling towards the land of promise. And then verse 30 tells us this. This is what Sarai is known for. But Sarai was barren. She had no children. This is, this is the, the, the thing that Sarai was known for. The thing that people recognized her for was, oh yeah, she's the one who doesn't have any children. She's the one who, who has no offspring, no heir. And this was crucial to have offspring in that time period. Today, it's not as huge of a, a deal not to have children. But back then, that was your livelihood. That was your hope for a future. And so you fast forward in the story, and this plays the crucial role throughout the stories that we've been looking at as we, we saw that, that she calls for Hagar, or Hagar to, to, to come to, to Abraham, her servant, and there's that whole lie that takes place. We looked at it just last week uh, about, about what took place uh, when, with Abimelech and the lie that took place about uh, Sarai being his sister. Again and again, you see throughout the story this doubt in the promises of God's fulfillment of giving an offspring to Abraham. Sarai is known as the one who's barren, the one who has no child. So let's fast forward, knowing that, to, to Genesis chapter 17. And we'll look at a portion here that we, we glazed over when we were going through this chapter previously. Genesis chapter 17 and verse 15. God has shown up to Abraham again and again, giving him the covenant, giving him promises of an offspring and a future and a hope and a land. And in verse 15, he says this, Then God said to Abram, As for Sarai your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. 
Now, both of these words mean princess, but Hebrew scholars tell us that Sarai means my princess. Sarah means princess of many. Like, she is going to become royalty of many. uh, And we see that in the coming verse after that as you continue reading. Verse 16 goes on to say this, And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she will be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples shall be from her. She'll, She'll be royalty in the sense that nations will come from her. Kings will come from her. Sarai, who is known as barren, will become Sarah, the one who is very fruitful and who has a royal lineage. Well, Abraham is there listening to God. And, and what does faithful Abraham do in response to God's promises? How do I respond when I, I read things in the Bible that sound wonderful and beautiful and beyond my reach? Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. Abraham fell on his face and he laughed. Now, now this is not laughter of joy. This is not laughter of hope. Because we read on and it says this, He fell on his face and he laughed. And he said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Look at me. I'm an old man. And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Look at my wife. She's 90 years old. So we see here why Abraham laughs. The first reason, Abraham says, look, I'm 100 years old. This is hilarious. God is telling me that I'm going to have a child at 100 years old. So Abraham falls on his face laughing at this prospect. Then he says, Sarah is 90 years old. Let alone the fact that I'm 100. Sarah is going to be 90 years old by the time she has a child. This is preposterous. And Abraham laughs. This is a lady by the name of Dawn Brooke. Now, Dawn Brooke was on vacation in the United States. She lives in England. And as she was on vacation, she began to have these symptoms that bothered her. She began to... Uh, she's, she was 58 years old at the time. 58. She's 58 years old, and she begins to have all these symptoms and pain and, and, and things that, that she shouldn't be having. And so she travels back to the UK. She goes to her doctor. She says, Doctor, you got to help me. I think I have cancer. So she gets inspected by the doctor and diagnosed, I should say. And the doctor tells her, you're pregnant. At 58 years old. And she went on to have a healthy boy at 59 years old. The oldest woman to ever naturally birth a child in modern times that we're aware of. 59 years old and she had a healthy boy. She and her husband were shocked to say the least, but they... Uh, are very happy to be parents, I went on to read. Genesis tells us that Abraham fell on his face in laughter. But notice what else it says. It says that he said in his, what does it say? In his heart. Who's he talking to? Is he talking to God here? He, he's musing to himself. He's, he's doubting to himself. He's, he's, Busy thinking in his own mind, yeah, this is ridiculous. He's not even able to voice this to God. And I believe that that creates a lot of the laughter of doubt in our lives. That is, we speak in our own hearts rather than opening our hearts to our friend and and God. Rather than than coming to Him in prayer. Rather than, than letting Him know what's on our heart. We keep it to ourselves. 
So we keep on reading. We find something else that Abraham had going on. Verse 18, And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Right? Reasons that he's laughing. He's he's 100 years old. Sarah's 90 years old. He's talking to himself. And he has an alternate plan for God. And that is the other reason that he's laughing in doubt. He had an alternate plan to God's plan. Hey, here's Ishmael. He's a, he's a good option. He's a, he's a young man that you could trust to, to be the heir, to, to be the one that, that would eventually have the Messiah come through him. Why not let Ishmael live before you? Notice God's response. This is so beautiful. How he comes close to us in our doubts. In our, our laughter that is based on skepticism, he comes close to that. And he has a bit of a sense of humor himself. <laughs> Look at how it goes. Then God said, no, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. Okay, this is hilarious. Because if you know what the name Isaac means, he laughs. Or laughter. <laughs> right? Here's the deal. Abraham, you're laughing on your face. You think that I'm not going to fulfill my promises? So here's the deal. Your child, here, I'm going to introduce to you what his name will be. His name is going to be Laughter. He laughs. And some, some people think it's implying that God laughs. God is the one who gets the last laugh. You're going to name him Laughter. You're going to name him He Laughs. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. So God responds, name your son Isaac, he laughs. And then verse 21, Mike, but my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. He gives a time prophecy. He says, by this time next year, you're going to have this baby who's going to make God himself laugh. So let's continue on. In in chapter 18 and verse 1, we read this story before, but we're going to look at a different part of it. It says, Then the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees of Mamre as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. Those three strangers come and he rushes out to show them hospitality, to show them what a, a generous person he's willing to be. And as he seats them down to this huge feast that he's prepared for them, and we learned about hospitality from that story, this is the conversation that they have. Verse 9. Then they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? So he said, here in the tent. Verse 10 continues. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. God is merciful. He keeps coming and bringing this promise. He shows up to Abraham sometime later. Maybe it's months later. Maybe it's weeks later. And says, okay, here's the deal. Again, I'm coming back about a year from now. And you will have a child. And there's going to be laughter at his birth. So what happens? Verse 11. Or it continues, sorry, verse 10 continues. Sarah was listening in the tent door which was behind him. Now, now this is a fascinating piece of the story because Sarah isn't a part of this conversation. She's not actually there talking to God face to face like Abraham is. She's back in the tent. She's behind the tent door. She's kind of interested in what God has to say. But not interested enough to come out and talk with him herself. And maybe this is because of the oriental customs of the time that a woman didn't necessarily do that. But hey, this is God himself out there and she is, she's, she's, she's got one ear tuned in. She's, she's listening to the promises and we see what result takes place in verse 11. Now Abraham and Sarah were old 
well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. See, now it's focusing in on Sarah, and I think as it's focusing on Sarah, it wants us to know that she understands some things about women. She understands that, hey, I'm past the point where I can possibly have children. There's no more ovulation going on. It's just not even possible anymore. I've stopped praying for that a whole long, uh, a really long time ago. I, I don't even expect that this could possibly happen. I'm past the age of childbearing. Look at verse 12. Therefore, ba- based on these things, therefore, Sarah what? Sarah laughed. And what kind of laughter is this? This is the laughter of skepticism. The laughter of, that's ridiculous. The laughter that often feeds our entertainment that we look at. It's the laughter of the craziness of this world. Yeah, right, that's crazy. That's the laughter that she has. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also. you got to be kidding me. There, There is no way that I'm about to have a child. So Sarah laughs because she's 90 years old. She's past childbearing age. She laughs because she is not engaging with this person who's making the promises. She is holding back a little bit. She's behind the tent door. She's kind of just listening in. She's got one ear tuned in to what God has to say. She's interested, but she's not fully engaged. And I want to tell you that that makes all the difference in the world how you feel about the Bible. That makes all the difference in the world about your relationship with God. If you've kind of got one ear tuned in, you're kind of interested, you're kind of, well, that's, that's nice. Or are you engaging with a friend who wants to have a conversation with you that will fill you with faith and hope on a day-to-day basis? Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. So Sarah listens at a distance. Verse 12, again, it said, Sarah laughed within herself. Notice how this laughter, how what she's saying is, she's not saying this to them, she's saying this to herself. She's not bold enough to to pray to God about this. Sarah's done asking God for a child. Sarah doesn't believe that that can happen anymore. And there's good news about that. There may have been prayers that you were passionate about praying in the past, and you may have lost hope, you may have become so doubtful of God fulfilling those promises, And yet God still can fulfill those promises in your life. He can still follow through on those prayers. He can still show up for you even though you have forgotten and you've been filled with doubt in your life. Sarah listens at a distance. Um, I think we repeated there. Look at God's response. Let's look, look specifically at God's response. Verse 13, And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? He begins to inquire as to what's going on. Now, now the first thing that we realize as we see this is that God knows what Sarah's thinking. God knows your doubts. God knows the questions that you have. God knows what you're thinking. And so why not talk to Him about it? Why not take time more to pray about what's going on in your heart. Because God already knows. Imagine Sarah, she's there, she's thinking, oh wow, who, who is this person? And, and now they know exactly what I was thinking in my, as I was listening to this. But then he uses a question to draw Sarah into the conversation. He doesn't just come out saying this is what you've done. 
but he wants to bring Sarah into the conversation. God wants to draw you closer. He wants to use whatever doubts and questions you have and to begin to to bring you a little bit closer to himself. But notice what God then goes on to do. Verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life. And Sarah shall have a son. Say that first line with me. Is anything too hard for the Lord? The, the word in Hebrew for hard there is anything too wonderful for the Lord. When it, when it talks about the wonders of God, the things that He does throughout Scripture, His works, His wonders, is anything too wonderful for God to do? You see what God wanted her to realize? He wanted to realize who it was that she was talking to. Because when somebody makes you a promise, it makes all the difference in the world that you know who's making you the promise. That word for wonderful is a prayer that I want for you and I to begin to pray more and more consistently. Psalm 119, verse 18, using the same exact word, the psalmist says this, Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. The law being Torah, all of Scripture that was available at that time. Open my eyes that as I look at your promises that I recognize something wonderful and beautiful there because you might be saying this morning, honestly, I don't see that. When I read the Bible, it's not wonderful. It's not beautiful to me. That's okay. Bring that to God too. Open your heart to Him about it and say, God, open my eyes. Let me see wonderful things from your law, from your word. I want to, to, to illustrate for you briefly about this whole thing about promises and knowing who's making the promise. I need a volunteer to come up here and help me out. All right? Anybody who's willing to help me out this morning? Somebody who, who wouldn't mind a little bit more pocket change. Now, I'm not promising I'll give you anything, but, 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 but who's really... Gunner, you are my faithful volunteer. Why don't you come up here? I can guarantee that Gunner's willing to help. That's good. All right, Gunner, come up here. All right, so I want you to imagine that, that you come to my office one day, okay? In fact, even better than that, I come by in my Honda Civic, and I pick you up from school, and I bring you to my office, and I bring you in, and I sit you down in my office, and I say, Gunner, I really appreciate the young man that you are becoming. And because I want to give you a really good future, I'm going to take out my checkbook here and I write a check. And it says, to Gunnar Giese for $100,000. And I hand it to you. What would you do? I don't have, just, just for the record, I don't have $100,000. Nowhere near. You wouldn't take it? But I gave you a promise. Here's my check. You think you might laugh at it? You say, $100,000? That's crazy. Pastor Zach doesn't have $100,000. Why would he give me a check for $100,000? It's kind of crazy for Pastor Zach to write $100,000. Let's say I wrote you a million-dollar check. You'd even more know. Just That's funny joke, Pastor Zach, but you're never going to do that. But I want you to imagine that you're at school the same day, and a limousine pulls up, and two guys get out, and they help you into the limousine. And you, as you're riding along... You drive all the way to the headquarters for Amazon. And as you go into Amazon, you walk into the office of Jeff Bezos himself. He's the richest man in the world. He has $113 billion. I don't even know what that means. Right? 
That's a lot of money. Okay, so, so, so he says, Gunnar, I really appreciate the young man that you're becoming. And I have a real hope that you're going to go to a good college. And so I am writing you a check for $1 million. And he hands you that check. How would you feel? Pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> That's good. That, thanks, Gunnar. I appreciate it. How, how would the rest of you feel if you got a $1 million check from Jeff Bezos? Would you, I mean, I wouldn't laugh in that moment, but as I got out to my car, I think I might be laughing to the point of having tears rolling down my face to think that Jeff Bezos just gave me a million dollars. I cannot believe what just happened. But here's the thing. It's just a piece of paper. It's just a promise. It isn't actually fulfilled in my life until I walk into the bank and I get that money. But I can laugh before I get to the bank because I know who Jeff Bezos is. And I know that he has the resources to do it. Do you know who God is? Is anything too hard for God? The reason that I read through the Bible and I read these promises and it's like, oh, okay, that's nice. On to the next page. I don't know who God is. I don't recognize Him as an infinite, powerful God of love who cares about every hair that's on my head, who cares about me more than the sparrows, Jesus said, who wants what's best for my life. If I recognize that, then those promises are suddenly treasures that I can't live without. Suddenly, I can laugh over the promises of God because they are so beautiful and powerful that I have good news to share to the whole world. Well, Sarah laughed. And then when God said you laughed, she denied it. Verse 15. But Sarah denied it saying, I did not laugh. For she was afraid. <laughs> She's scared. God says, uh, hang on. He said, no, you did laugh. And that ended the conversation. That, that was the end of that one. It was pretty clear that God knew what she was doing. So go on to chapter 21. This catches us up. Last week we looked at how, again, Abraham for 30 years has been lying about who Sarah is. She's lying herself to Abimelech. And we saw that whole picture last week. And then we get in verse 1 of chapter 21. Genesis chapter 21 and verse 1. And it says this, And the Lord visited Sarah. He, he comes close to Sarah. He comes to Sarah. As he had, what does it say? As he had said. Now, notice the emphasis here. He comes to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had, what does it say? Spoken. Do you see what he's wanting you to get? God is doing exactly what he promised. The faith that we need to have is in the promises of God, in His faithfulness to fulfill His promises. The Lord did exactly what He said. The Lord did for Sarah as He had spoken. And it repeats it again. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had, what does it say? Spoken to him. Look, look, God fulfilled His promises. It may have taken 20, 30 years. It may have taken a lot of time, but God fulfilled His promises. And look at what it does for this family. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, who Sarah bore to him. And then you can just hear it in the Hebrew. Isaac. God laughs. Because now he has a child. God is laughing. But not only that, look at verse, as it continues, now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. This is funny. You guys aren't laughing. But it's funny. Abraham 
is 100 years old. And you don't get that, so let me introduce you to two individuals who got married. Uh, the, the gentleman on the right, this is the oldest marriage on record. Her name is Rose, and I forgot his name anyway. But he's 100 years old, and she's 90 years old. They got married at 190, the oldest wedding, official wedding on record. Can you imagine them having a baby? Holding a little baby, caring? It takes a lot of energy and strength. I kind of feel a little bad for Sarah. I hope that God also gave her a lot of strength to handle this whole situation. But, but look at what Sarah goes on to say. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh. <laughs> And all who hear will laugh with me. God has fulfilled His promises and, and He is so faithful that the, the whole world is going to laugh when they hear about this. When they recognize that God is that big, that He's that powerful, that He's that loving, that He always follows through in His promises, the world will laugh as they see a faithful covenant-keeping God. Verse 7, she said, also said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. This morning you might be thinking, yeah, one day I will laugh. One day God has promised that, that He's going to wipe every tear from my eyes. And, and when I'm there in heaven, I'm going to laugh. But we, right now, it's hard to laugh. It's hard to have joy where I'm at right now. But I want you to know, that you don't have to be like Sarah and Abraham, but that you can look at the promises of God for yourself today and you can laugh with joy in the midst of sorrow. You can laugh with joy in the midst of unfulfilled hopes. You can laugh with joy when facing difficulties and trials in your life. Let's look at what Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18 says. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, though absolutely everything goes wrong in your life, what does it go on to say? Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will, will joy in the God of my salvation. There's a, a root to our joy. There's a foundation to joy that can be experienced like 2 Corinthians 6.10 says, even in the midst of sorrow, you can have joy because of who you know. Who you are connected with. And that is the God of the universe. But I'll just be real with you. This is difficult for me to experience. This past week, uh, it was getting close to bedtime. When my wife came and, and I, I, we had said, hey, let's get to bed early tonight. I'm really tired. I, I think I'm just going to go to bed early because the girls are going to be up early and I just need a little extra rest. So I'm about to crawl into bed when Leah says, I hate to tell you this, but the washer just quit. <laughs> are you serious? Yeah. And it's full of clothes and water. And I knew that that meant she didn't want it to sit all night for good reason so that it didn't mildew or whatever. So, okay. And I'm not thinking about God works all things together for good. I'm not thinking about these promises in that moment. I wish that I was more saturated in His promises that that was my first thought. 
But as I'm going in there and I'm trying to work on it, I fixed it several different times. There's a motor coupling that's created problems before, so I was trying to figure out if that was it. No, it wasn't this time because there was no power, it seemed like, to the whole machine. Working on it, finally by 9 o'clock I figured out, let's just take the clothes out and put them in the wash, in the bathtub. And you're thinking, 9 o'clock, this is the key. If you want to spend time with Jesus early in the morning, go to bed really early. It helps a lot. I know, I, I was grumpy about going to bed at 9 o'clock, but, or, or by, if it was going to be later than 9 o'clock. Anyway, so finally get the, bath, the clothes into the bathtub and, and crawl into bed. The next morning, after we get the girls going and, and we're getting into our day, back to working on the washing machine. I said, I don't have time for this. I have a lot of things I need to be working on. It's taking time out of the day. Finally, we, just, we figured out after I wasted time trying to fix it, and I'm the whole time trying to praise God, trying to thank Him, but I'm not feeling very thankful. Uh, finally, we found on, on Craigslist this washer that was for sale for really cheap from somebody that just bought a house, and the house had a washer, and it's a newer washer, and I should have been excited about that, but I'm like, okay, now it's going to take time to go and pick that up. So we drive, and we pick it up, and I'm Honestly, just kind of frustrated inside, trying to be happy in Jesus, but frustrated. We come back, and then it's, well, how do we get the washer up there? Well, I can go talk to the neighbor, and talk to the neighbor is a great chance to connect with the neighbor. Let's do that. So I'm trying to work with the neighbor, trying to get the right tools. He doesn't have the tools. So then, finally, I realized something. Something that, because I love you, I want you to know. When life is going wrong for you, You need to call a stop to things and take some time with Jesus. Leah graciously volunteered to go to Walmart for me for the the vice grips that I needed. And while she went, I began to pray. (laughs) I began to claim promises. And I began to remember who is the source of everything that I need. And by the time she came back, on the way there I told her, you know, I'm not having the best of days. By the time she came back, she's like, I'm so sorry, it's such a hard day for you. And I'm like, what is she even talking about? I had renewed and restored joy because I went back to the source, taking time in His presence. It's all about perspective. It's all about in the midst. And that didn't fix everything. It still was a difficult process. Didn't get the washer in until the next day. But if we're connected to one who knows and loves us, to the joy giver, He'll see us through every difficult trial that we may go through. And, and that's a small trial, granted. But God wants for you even to laugh in the midst of trials. That's what Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18 is saying, right? It may be that the, the fig tree doesn't bear, the olive tree doesn't bear. It may be that everything's going wrong, but you can joy in the God of your salvation. God had told Abraham that in, 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 in Genesis 15, 1. He said, look, I am your shield. I am your reward. You already have what you need because you have me. I'm also going to give you a son. I'm also going to give you land. I'm also going to bless your life. But what you need, you already have. That's this relationship. And I'm beginning to learn about laughter in relationship. So at camp meeting this past summer, which is up at SoCal near Santa Cruz, we were walking around in the stroller with the girls. And, and this is Abby. She, she saw our friend Tammy who, she has this bouncy hair and she comes up to the, to the, to the stroller and she's there like bouncing her hair in front of Abby and, and Abby's just watching this and. Mommy should put her down and she should laugh next to her. <laughs> she did laugh in my arms for a little bit. No, she was laughing right now. Oh, she's so, she's so, she's so, she's so, she's so 
That was the first time that we saw her laugh, wholeheartedly laughing. But I'm telling you that, that having these two precious little gifts, I'm beginning to learn that life is filled with wonder, filled with joy, even though our world is filled with chaos, even though attacks are happening around the world, even though bills need to be paid. I need to enjoy the wonder of the life that God has given me. I'm learning how to laugh again. I'm learning that my girls love to laugh. I'm learning that laughter comes through relationship. I'll tell you that that my schedule often gets interrupted now. I'll be in the midst of working on something and there are four little eyes looking at me. And I think, forget it. I'm going to play with them for a minute. We need to recapture the wonder of the life that God has given us. The joys that He has given to us and the relationships that He has granted to us in our life. Even though we've lost things in our life. Even though we're going through difficult times. It's amazing because not too long ago we finally realized, you know what? Our girls are helping us to learn that life can be fun. Even the simplest things in life can actually be filled with joy. That that Sarah really could have been laughing with joy because of this amazing God who promised her things that seemed impossible. That we really can laugh in the midst of a life that seems mundane. Every evening we go upstairs and multiple times during the day, Leah takes the girls up upstairs and they just love to walk up the stairs. Yeah. It's the simplest of things. But I'm learning that even walking up the stairs can be fun. Peekaboo. <laughs> it's also fun. Life can be filled with joy. We need to recapture a childlike wonder, a childlike joy, a recognition of the wonders and gifts that God has given us. There's a wonder in all of life, you know. There's a wonder of going to the beach. The wonder of crawling through the sand for the first time. The wonder of heading for the sand dunes. Heading for the sand dunes? I could go on and on and on. And you're thinking, okay, he really could. I'm going to be here all day. He's going to show me his family videos the rest of the entire day. Don't worry, I'm not really going to do that. But I mean, just this past week, I could tell you about how we introduced them for the first time to lemons. And to watch them as they experienced lemons, we expected puckering, we expected... But instead, Livy's like kicking her feet, saying, I want more. I want more of that. Life can be filled with joy when you're in relationship. I have a whole lot more joy in my life because of these two new relationships. And the more that we come to know the promise-keeping God of this Bible, the more joy that we'll have in the midst of a crazy world, in the midst of the chaos, 
in the midst of things we don't understand, in the midst of unfulfilled hopes, we can find hope to rejoice in, in a God who is faithful to keep His promises, even if it's when you're 90 years old. Even if it's when you're 100 years old. And I don't know what fruit you want born in your life, but I hope that the fruit that you want more than anything else is to share Jesus with this world. And that frustrates me because when I think about sharing Jesus, I think how incapable, impotent I feel at helping people see how beautiful Jesus is. And if any of you feel the same way, I'm here to tell you, don't give up. It may feel impossible. You may feel like I've tried everything to share with my son, my daughter, my neighbor, my coworker about Jesus and how good he is, and I just don't think it's ever going to make a difference. But don't laugh like Abraham and Sarah before they received their, their promised gift. But laugh like one who knows a promise-keeping God who always fulfills His word. Steps to Christ, page 111 and 112 says this, God invites us to prove for ourselves the reality of His Word, the truth of His promises. He bids us taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 34, verse 8. We've got to come and try it out for ourselves. We've got to saturate our lives with it. And I'm just telling you, there's some amazing opportunities in the day and age we live in. Did you know that while you're brushing your teeth, while you're shaving, while you're driving down the road, you can be listening to the Bible 24-7? Not 24-7, you got to work, you got to do some other things, but do you know how many gaps there are in your day? There's little moments when you're scrolling Facebook that you could be listening to Jesus. You know what that would do for your relationship? Not if you come to it like the Pharisees did, just trying to to, to amass wealth of knowledge. But if you come to it looking for a friend who cares about the details of your life, asking God to help that Word to practically impact your day-to-day life. He invites us to taste and see that He is good. Instead of depending upon the Word of another, uh, what other people have to say, we are to taste for ourselves. He declares, ask and you shall receive. His promises will be fulfilled. You can count on it. They have never failed. They never can fail. And as we draw near to Jesus and rejoice in the fullness of His love, our doubt and darkness will disappear in the light of His presence. As you get to know the promise-keeping, faithful God, the darkness in your life will begin to be dispelled by the joy of knowing a promise-keeping God. So I want to pray this prayer. I don't know about you. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. In fact, I just want to invite you to, to, to say that prayer right now. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from Your law. But don't just pray it right now. Pray this prayer every morning when you wake up. Say, God, open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from Your Word. Help me to recognize Your beauty in the Bible. And if, if you don't know this verse, write it down. Mark it in your Bible. Mark it on your phone. Pray this prayer. God, would You show me how beautiful, how wonderful You are. And keep going back, looking for Jesus. God wants to make you laugh, just like He made Sarah laugh. He wants to open our eyes so that we can really experience the wonder, the laughter that comes from knowing a promise-keeping, a promise-hearing God. As we close today, I want to, number one, invite you 
to pray that prayer on a consistent basis. Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from Thy law. Pray it day to day. Pray it throughout the day. Say, God, help me to see You and Your wonders. That You are the God that nothing is too wonderful for You to do. Second of all, I want to invite you to come out to the 10 days of prayer. How many of you have been coming to the 10 days of prayer? How many of you have been blessed by it so far? Right? If you haven't been a part of it, I just want to invite you, come and taste for yourself the goodness of praying together. And finally, we're going to close today by singing a, a hymn, hymn number 75 in the hymnal, The Wonder of It All. And I want you just to let these words sink into your heart. It says, there's the wonder of sunset at evening, the wonder as sunrise I see. But the wonder of wonders that thrills my soul is the wonder that God loves me. There's the wonder of springtime and harvest, the sky, the stars, and the sun. But the wonder of wonders that thrills my soul is a wonder that's only begun. A wonder of it all, the wonder of it all, just to think that God loves me. Oh God. How wonderful you truly are. Really, there is nothing too wonderful for you to do. Lord, we want to pray that you would open our eyes so that we can see wonderful things from your word. Lord, help us to come to you day to day and throughout the day as the promise-keeping God who is enough for us when we don't have all that we think we need. And Father, may we begin to see the world differently as we recognize the wonder of a promise-keeping God. May we recognize the wonder in sunsets and harvests. May we recognize the wonder in green grass and the beauty that surrounds us. May we recognize the wonder in friendships and family. May we recognize the wonder of our Creator everywhere we look. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.